there's some magic to being able to like move your body as a way to process emotions. There's something that happens when we dissolve physical tension in the body and makes it easier to access mental and emotional tension. So when you're really able to release and relax your body and feel comfortable, it, then you just have access to something a little bit deeper. And I found that it was easier to even build awareness over what am I thinking about? How am I actually feeling? Questions that I maybe wasn't used to asking myself. So yoga was a really powerful practice and an introduction to self-inquiry and self-reflection. Um, something that I didn't necessarily find in other modalities and forms of movement. So this idea that the way you behave and react on the yoga mat is probably mirrored in the way that you react and behave in the rest of your life at work, with your family, with your friends, the way that you, you know, think about yourself and care for yourself. How happy is your nervous system right now? If you're like most people, you've collected lots of stress energy, but you don't have systems to help you release this energy. As a result, you remain in a state of chronic stress, and it is just a matter of time before the stress shows up as autoimmune disorders or other health complications. In this conversation with Cassandra, we will explore how we can use yoga to release this energy and bring our nervous system back into a happy state. But before we jump in, I'd also like to announce my new website, plenavita.coach. Plenavita, also meaning full life. We are an executive coaching company dedicated to your well-being. Because when you are performing at your best, your business and everyone around you also benefits. At this website, you also find links to our sponsors and affiliate partners, Chemical Free Body and Sensate. Again, that website is plenavita.coach. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, my name is Mary Maduna Gross, and you're listening to Fully Alive, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs who are hungry to live their purpose, expand their impact, and create with ease. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this recording of the Fully Alive podcast. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and I am here today with Cassandra Reinhardt of Yoga with Cassandra. And we're talking about a topic that's really important to me and it's around balancing our nervous systems because I know how um, burned out my nervous system has been in the past and how difficult it is to function when that nervous system is not happy. So Cassandra, I'm really looking forward to learning from you about how we can nurture and support our nervous system uh, through movement. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about it. So tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came into this work around nervous systems and yoga. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a yoga instructor. I'm based out of Ottawa, Canada. However, the bulk of my practice and my teaching career is online. So Yoga with Cassandra is a YouTube channel. I started in 2014 and we've grown it to over 2 million subscribers and I don't know, probably like 800 online yoga classes by now. I've released a good amount. Um, and I primarily teach vinyasa yoga and yin yoga. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the practices of yoga, but vinyasa being something that's a bit more dynamic. And then yin is a passive practice. And that's really the one that I got interested 
um, in terms of tools, techniques that would help me to reduce stress and anxiety and to also nourish my nervous system. So both are phenomenal practices, but for the sake of talking about nervous system reset and recalibration, I found that yin for me was the best fit with what I needed. So I've specialized and focused on those two disciplines and I've been teaching for about a decade now or so. And like I mentioned, with hundreds and almost a thousand videos now available online for free on YouTube. <laughs> wow. So when you got into this work as a yoga instructor, what was your motivation? Um, you know, I discovered yoga when I was about 18 years old. I didn't necessarily fall in love with it right away. It took a, a bit of trial and error of finding the right style of yoga and finding the right teacher for me because they're just there are so many different formats for yoga and so many different kinds of disciplines within the yoga world. So I really needed to find some that resonate. And of course, every teacher is going to have their own unique perspective. So once I found the right fit for me, I dove in and then it really all clicked and came together. So when I got the opportunity to do my first 200 hour yoga teacher training to become certified, I jumped on that and a lot of people take t teacher training, not necessarily with the goal of becoming an instructor and actually teaching to students. For a lot of people and students, it's just something that you do to gain more knowledge around yoga and you do it for your own personal journey and personal experience. Highly recommend doing it even if you're just interested in yoga as a student. But I knew right away I wanted to teach. So there was no doubt in my mind. As soon as I started teacher training, I became really eager to offer classes to students and share this knowledge and share this practice that had been so beneficial for me. However, as is true in many other um, paths and careers and trades, um, it's very hard to get your first teaching jobs when you're newly certified and you have no experience. So I found that to be quite challenging. I was so eager to get out there. I had so much motivation, but I just couldn't couldn't do it, you know? So I ended up going on YouTube just as a way to try something new, to add something to my resume, to show that as experience and to give potential employers an idea of my teaching style and what I'm about, not really knowing that YouTube would end up being the chosen career path for me. So that's kind of how I stumbled into it. But Faithfully, the drive and the motivation kept me going. And I'm thankful that I discovered YouTube because that was an excellent way for me to teach in the way that is best suited to me, which is I love to be able to access a worldwide audience and to really yeah. remove those barriers of entry to a yoga class. So it's been a really wonderful process. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm also wondering why yoga? What was it about yoga that was you, you were even curious about because maybe you didn't know much about it at 18 when you started. I knew nothing. Definitely. I didn't know anything. I was coming from the background of dance. So I grew up doing a lot of ballet dance and modern and jazz and that kind of stuff. So I really only went to that first yoga class as a way to cross train and improve my dancing. So part of, you know, why yoga, it was a really good mesh of a few different things. I love dance so much and I still dance today, but it was very difficult on my body. It was also kind of difficult mental health wise because it's such a perfectionist sport. You know, you're really striving to be as best 
as you know, the best version of yourself that you can, which can be really motivating. But I don't know, at, at 18, um, yeah. that's not necessarily what I needed. So then I found yoga and yoga had a few elements of dance that I like in this term or in the sense that you could move your body creatively. So I still had access to that form of like fluid movement that I really enjoyed. You know, I like moving my body and using my body for expression and personal growth. So what I found in dance, I also found that in yoga. But then yoga had this extra deep layer of being this ancient Indian system of spirituality and philosophy and ethics. And it was something I didn't really know I needed. It's not something that I went searching for because, again, I just didn't know anything about yoga. So I just stumbled into it. But I realized that my life improved quite drastically once I really allowed myself to explore those other aspects of the practice of yoga beyond just the physical poses. And one of the first things that I noticed really was how great of an impact it had on stress, anxiety, things like insomnia, my own internal chatter, internal dialogue, you know, noticing how critical I was of myself. Um, so it was really all part of shaping my life, something that was so useful to find at 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, I'm very thankful that I found it that young. Wow. So how does yoga help us with those those symptoms that you just described? You know, the, the inner chatter and, and insomnia and, and just overall stress? You know, in a lot of ways, part of it is just physical movement there's some magic to that, you know, being able to like move your body as a way to process emotions. There's something that happens when we dissolve physical tension in the body. It makes it easier to access mental and emotional tension. So when you're really able to release and relax your body and feel comfortable, it, then you just have access to something a little bit deeper. And I found that it was easier to even build awareness over what am I thinking about? How am I actually feeling? Questions that I maybe wasn't used to asking myself. So yoga was a really powerful practice and an introduction to self-inquiry and self-reflection, um, something that I didn't necessarily find in other modalities and forms of movement. So this idea that the way you behave and react on the yoga mat is probably mirrored in the way that you react and behave in the rest of your life at work, with your family, with your friends, the way that you, you know, think about yourself and care for yourself. And I noticed that really right away in the way that I would react when something was really hard. You know, if something is really hard, a yoga pose is really challenging you, what happens? Maybe your default is to give up before you even try. Maybe your default is to compare yourself to the other people around you. Maybe your default is to criticize yourself heavily, you know, or to put extreme amounts of pressure on yourself to be perfect. There are so many different ways that people can respond to challenges, to physical challenges. But the practice of yoga is more than just meeting that physical challenge. It's about really observing the way that you respond to it, because the way that you respond to it most likely, I know for me, it did parallel into other areas of my life. So it was a really good opportunity to do some deep personal work, um, a lot of personal growth, 
um, it felt like therapy in a lot of ways, you know, so it felt like physical movement, you know, really like working on my body, gaining flexibility, balance and strength. But it also felt like I was doing a little bit of therapy and finding uh, a lot more comfort with myself throughout it. So it's been very valuable for me in those ways. That's fascinating. I, I've done some yoga uh, in the past. Uh, it was a yoga studio here in my neighborhood. And my intention was really to do it more as an alternative to working out. Mm -hmm. I don't really like to work out. <laughs> but um, so I'm wondering, I remember some of the experiences that you're talking about, about being on the mat and some days just couldn't do it at all. And other days it seemed easy. And um, so I, I can see the parallel between my experience on the mat and my experience off the mat. But do, do, do most instructors kind of weave that into a yoga workout or when you're looking for a yoga instructor is that something you really need to kind of specifically be looking for uh, I mean personally when I'm looking for my teachers and the ones that I practice and yeah. learn from I'm looking for the ones who are going to be able to take it deeper than just a physical practice that being said you know when I first started practicing yoga I didn't know anything other than the physical poses and treating it like a workout. And it still kind of worked its magic on me, <laughs> you know? Okay. So I feel like even if you don't have, like I would recommend a teacher who's able to weave that in into their themes and to really help you um, access those deeper layers where you're weaving physical health with mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. However, if you don't find that you have that in a teacher, I do think you can kind of do it on your own. Like this is a very introspective practice, a very kind of solo path in a way. So you can have those um, aha moments, you know, and those moments of inspiration and wisdom, whether the teacher is guiding you through that or not. In fact, it's common to go to yoga classes where people will have emotional releases. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but that's no, you're in a pose and all of a sudden you're crying or yep. you're laughing or you're really angry and you don't really know why. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you you know that something's going on in your life and you're processing it. But sometimes like these emotions come up to the surface and they can really take people by surprise because they weren't expecting to cry in a yoga class that day. Right. Um, but that's kind of part of the beauty of this kind of somatic exercise and movement. You know, again, it's this idea that by releasing physical tension, we're also creating space to allow emotions and thoughts and feelings, you know, things that have been bubbling below the surface, they're now able to come up to this level of consciousness, you know, and we're giving ourselves permissions to feel it out and to, like, I really like this quote, the only way out is through. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea that you can only really process this emotion by letting yourself express it and feel it fully in order to, you know, go full circle with it. So even if you don't have a teacher that's speaking and, you know, creating language around that experience, I think it can still definitely happen. And you can have that journey for yourself on your own, even just by doing the yoga poses. I love that. And, and really part of me asks that question because I tend to be an overthinker, right? And, you know, kind of want to know all the answers before I start something. But what I'm really hearing from you is that we can trust the process. We can trust that that if we show up and do the poses, that our body knows what to do with this. 
Yeah, totally. And I mean, I can relate. I'm also very cerebral. I like to research and learn everything. You know, I I like that. Um, I like intellectual knowledge, but the practice of yoga, especially the physical practice of yoga is really about embodiment. So it's not about learning all of the perfect alignment cues to each pose and how to master it. It's about how to really embody the wisdom of this pose. And, you know, even when you were talking about how sometimes you felt like it, sometimes you don't, like, there's a lot to be said about that, this discussion between motivation and discipline. So even if you remove, you know, let's say you don't even know anything about yoga, but you just maintain the practice and you trust the process, you'll notice that sometimes you are motivated and it's easy to keep going. But sometimes that motivation just isn't there. And that's when we face resistance. And that's when things get difficult, you know, and trying. And again, this is another way where the way we behave on our mats might be the same way that we behave in life. When motivation disappears, do you have the discipline, you know, the, the awareness to continue on that path? So even just keeping out of as a physical practice and not even worrying about the spiritual aspects you're still getting a lot out of the practice just by committing to it, you know, and really like um, letting yourself be embodied with this practice of mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is such a big component of yoga. Right. I, you know, as you're describing this, I'm, I, I, I sometimes I'm just in awe of this whole mind, body, spirit uh, triad that we have here that you, we really can intervene at any one of those levels, right? We can intervene at the body level, the mind level. We can intervene at the spiritual level. Um, and it's all towards our, our overall uh, greater good. Um, and this whole idea of getting out of our head and into our body, because it's really kind of, uh, th that's where I've come to as, you know, kind of the journey that we're all on here is how do we get out of our head, know, having to have everything right, have it know everything before we even start, to really trusting ourselves, being in our body so that we're getting information, whether it's physical sensory information or intuition, like, can we really tune into that? Because if I believe that if we're in our head, all of that intuition kind of stuff get kind of gets murky and, and blocked a little bit. Would you agree with that? Or do you see that differently? No, I think that can definitely be the case. I think when we're talking about mind-body connection um, or mind-body spirits, I think we're really good because of language at compartmentalizing everything and creating categories where this is mental health, emotional health, my physical body, this is my soul. You know, like we have labels and it's obviously very useful. That's how we learn. That's how we interact and communicate. But at the end of the day, I don't actually really think that they're all that separate. I don't know that it's actually possible to only focus on the body and not yeah. have it impact your emotional health and not have it touch something greater. The same way that if you're working on mental health, I think you're probably going to be tapping into the body at the same time. Exactly. So this idea of like, I am in my head and it is a practice for me to try to be embodied and to get into the physical sensations and the feelings versus trying to add language to it and label everything. Um, so it, it's, it's a balance. But I think it's just part of human nature to try to like separate and categorize in an effort to understand and to learn and to make it all make sense. But I think so much of this doesn't necessarily make sense. And that's OK. Like that's the beauty of the mystery of it all. And it's fun to just let yourself embrace that and go there. Just knowing that 
I don't really know. <laughs> and that's okay. I love that. I love that. And I think too, that this is a good segue into, you know, really going in now into that nervous system conversation. Um, because when we are in our head where we are triggering our nervous system, probably constantly, right? Getting, yep. keeping ourselves in a state of chronic stress. And when we can find a way to come into our body, that, that will help us shift that nervous system into a rest and, and relaxation. So how do we use, do you have some specific um, suggestions on how we can use yoga to help us make that connection or transition? I'm not sure which it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can speak to what was really helpful for me. So I, it's almost like I didn't realize how anxious I was and how close to burnout I was until I started decreasing those levels mm -hmm. and noticing that, oh, there's a different way of life. I was so used to that way of life and that way of feeling constantly turned on and like on edge and I don't know, like a freight wire, I guess. Right. Um, that I only realized how bad it was once it started improving and getting better. And yoga for sure provides fantastic tools and techniques to help support our nervous system and to, re you know, reduce hormone levels that send us into this chaotic fight, fight or flight frenzied state and help us activate like more the parasympathetic nervous system, this rest and digest part of our nervous system. For me, the biggest switch is when I found yin yoga. So prior to finding yin yoga, I was practicing mostly vinyasa flows. And vinyasa can also be phenomenal for nervous system care. However, the way that I was practicing it, because with vinyasa yoga, you're kind of only holding a pose for one breath. So you're moving quite fast in and out of poses. It's a very dynamic fluid, creative practice, which is what I love because it reminded me of dance mm. um, and almost like a choreography with my body. However, what I noticed was that it was very easy for me to do an entire yoga class, a vinyasa one, and be distracted the entire time, to be in my head the entire time, daydreaming, stuck in my thoughts. I was just kind of flinging my body back and forth, right? going through the motion without actually really feeling it. Um, now that I have more experience and wisdom and skill, I'm able to do vinyasa more mindfully. But in that time, I wasn't. And it's only until I found yin yoga, which is the complete opposite. So yin yoga, you're holding a passive pose, meaning there's no strength involved. You're letting gravity get you in the stretch. You're holding each pose for like three to five minutes on average. So you're not moving. There's nowhere to go. So if I'm in like a deep hip opener, I'm doing a butterfly forward fold or I'm in child's pose, I'm there for five minutes and there's nowhere to go but where you are. And then that's when it became really obvious to me just how much mental chatter I actually had going on. And I noticed just how uncomfortable I was with the experience. Like I hated yin yoga when I tried it. It was so hard. It was so hard to sit with myself for so long and to not do anything. So I really noticed how much I'm used to being overstimulated and always turned on and always in overdrive in a lot of ways, physically and mentally. So finding yin and learning to embrace doing less was the first step in me learning to care for my nervous system. It really forced me to 
be more mindful of the present experience by focusing on each breath as it came, by focusing on the physical sensations in my body versus how I was used to moving and doing yoga and dance, which was I'm constantly in my head, but my body is doing something else. Like they weren't really connected to each other. So with yin, I had that connection. I had permission to slow down and it just gave me a lot of clarity and helped to show me what was happening in my nervous system. And then with time, like I learned a lot of breathing techniques that are really supportive for the nervous system. Meditation is kind of like the gold star when we're talking about nervous system reset. Um, but none of it was easy. And I think that's probably what is important to note. For some, it might be easy. For me, it was not. And it didn't necessarily feel good in the moment. But I noticed the feel-good effects afterwards. So in the moment, it was uncomfortable. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be there. I couldn't shut off my brain. I was impatient. I felt like it wasn't working. But the more I did it, the more I realized that I'm sleeping better. I'm less reactive in my day-to-day -day life. I feel better overall. I don't feel the same amount of stress as I normally do. So I kind of had to just trust the process with that one and keep going and to not trust that little voice in my head that was being really critical and judgmental. Um, and that was really hard as well. Yeah. So you're in a pose um, for a period of time and you've got all this inner chatter. Like if you're, you're, you're having an off day, let's say, right? You've got all this inner chatter. This, here's what my inner chatter would probably be saying. Things like, this is dumb. I don't even know if I'm doing this right. This isn't very comfortable. Why would anyone ever tell me to do this, right? I mean, this is yeah, that ongoing chatter that's in my head. Maybe I should just get up. Maybe I should just call it a day and, and say I tried it and that'd be good. So how, what do you, what strategies or tools do you use to just quiet that inner, inner chatter while you're holding the pose? The first part is the recognition that there's that little voice, that little monkey mind that will shut up. Yeah. And then there's you that's observing and listening to that little voice. So just just feeling the distinction that shows you that, oh, I'm a lot more than this little voice. There's a bigger part of me, this observer part of me that is separate from that little voice. That can be really powerful because then from this observer point of view, you can say, wow, that little voice has a lot going on. That's okay. You know, you don't have to take it for true and right. to take it as fact. It's like in meditation, there's this analogy that gets brought up. People have the misconception that meditation is about quieting your mind and having no thoughts, like clearing all thoughts so that it's just like a flat line. When in reality, meditation is lots of thoughts with tiny little gaps between them. And it's almost as if when you meditate, you're looking at the sky and each thought is a cloud and you're simply observing the thoughts as they go, as they pass along without getting caught up in the story behind them and making it bigger than it is. Over time with practice, some days better than others, you'll notice that the gaps between the thoughts maybe are bigger Maybe there are fewer thoughts than before, but if there are no thoughts, you're probably dead. <laughs> like, right. right. 
to have some, you know, it's going to happen that you're going to think, oh, my hip hurts. Yeah. Or, oh my God, did I turn off the stove or whatever, you know, like it's going to happen. So it's just this be, knowing that you are the observer, you are not those thoughts. It works in meditation. It works in yin or in yoga class in general. And something that I always come back to, if I find it really hard not to get caught up in the story of the thought, and I really like cannot sit in the observer, I find that focusing on the body is my best gateway to mindfulness. So I'll focus either on the feeling of my breath as it goes in and out through my nose, like literally feeling how the inhale is kind of cool around the nostrils. It travels around the back of my throat. I feel it go down my chest. When I exhale, it's slightly warmer, like giving my mind something to focus on that is different than my little chattery thoughts. And similarly, giving your mind something to focus on can be the physical sensations of the pose. So I'm in child's pose. Okay, I'm feeling this through my inner thighs. I feel it a little more on the right than on the left. I'm feeling this around my spine. Like just giving your brain a task to focus on can help you step away from those busy, chattery thoughts. And over time, you're able to step away from those as well for longer periods of time overall. But it happens. It happens to everyone. Anyone who sees that they're not thinking, I don't believe them. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. I don't either. Well, and I love it that you're bringing back the observer because I think that is something that um, ha up until recently, I don't think it's really been talked about a lot. I first recognized it when I read... Um, I think Eckhart Tolle, right? Okay. You know what? I had a hard time with Eckhart in the beginning. Um, so yeah. I, I first heard the observer message from Michael Singer in The Untethered Soul. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you have listeners, if you haven't read The Untethered Soul, Michael Singer, I highly recommend it because, again, one of the things I really took away from that book is this idea that we are the observer. We're not the one experiencing. And so I now talk to my clients about the, you know, flipping the switch from an experience role to an, a, an observer role. Yeah. And as you were describing, you know, the observer role in holding these poses, I could almost just imagine that my observer you know, while what you know, all that got all that chatter going on in my head is almost like mothering that chattery side of me, right? I can almost just imagine that observer part of me just putting her hand on my back as as the chattery part of me is, is attempting to hold um, this pose, and it just feels like this is one way that I can give myself grace and compassion. Yeah, I love that. I I try to focus also on this philosophy of yes and. So rather than like trying to suppress or deny and stop what you don't want to be happening, in this case being the mental chatter. So, okay, stop thinking about your to-do list. Get back to the present moment. Don't get up and leave. You know, don't worry about the pose being uncomfortable. You can, you can do it. You know, trying to like muscle your way through. I like the yes and approach a little more where you, as the observer, you can say, yes, the pose is uncomfortable. And what else is true here, mm. you know, and it feels really good in this part of my body and I'm able to hold it and I'm free to make adjustments and make it more comfortable. You know, yes, my mind is busy and I know I'll feel better once the class is over and I'll be grateful that I stuck it out and didn't get up, you know, so just like acknowledging when things are not going the way that you want them to. 
but also opening yourself up to the possibility that there's a lot that is going well that you're not considering because you're focusing on the loudest things that are calling your attention, which is usually like not so great feelings and thoughts, you know, things that are harder to sit with. But those are not the only things that are present there. There's so much more to the experience if we just give ourselves permission to turn our attention towards those things. Yeah. And again, what a great reminder for off the mat as well. Right. These aren't going our way. No, it isn't going my way. And uh, these other things are going my way. Uh, I love that. I love that as a, as a strategy to, to break us out of just staring at what, as you say, the, the greatest pain or the loudest, uh, that, that squeaky wheel. Yeah. Right. Right. We've got lots of wheels that are Sorry, it's a bit of a tantric perspective, you know, this embrace of the paradox to to be able to hold two things as being true at once, Um, removing ourselves from this more binary thinking where only one can be true and the other has to be false. Tantric perspective really asks us to embrace the fact that there are paradoxes in life. Both things can be true at once and we can exist with that you know, and that can be okay. You know, there's beauty and magic in that. So it's a really, um, that's a great lesson that I've taken from um, tantric training that I've done in the past. Thank you for sharing that. That's phenomenal. So again, let, let's say um, I, I'm concerned about my nervous system. I'm interested in using yoga to help me reset this nervous system. How would you suggest that I would start? I think the best thing is to focus on small, manageable practices that you can do consistently, ideally, you know, maybe every day if it's only five minutes or 10 minutes versus trying to throw everything at it in like doing one hour or 90 minute sessions that you end up only doing once a week or once every two weeks. Because again, maybe the motivation is there one day. So you give it all you got. Right. The next day, you don't really feel like it. And then you don't get on, you don't unroll your mat for a long time. Yeah. No. So especially because nervous system, like it's probably taken a while to get your nervous system to where it is now. Plan for it to take a little while to also de-escalate and to find a new normal, you know, a new level of a healthy range of expression for you. So if you can focus on just saying, okay, I'm ready to dedicate whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes every morning or every night to caring for my nervous system, that's an amazing place to start. If you only have a little bit of time, I like doing it in the morning, but bedtime can be super phenomenal as well, especially if you are struggling with sleep and insomnia, something that I went through for many, many years. So I would practice more at night. Now I'm back to morning. I like it as a way to set the tone for the day, to establish my baseline and to move with mindfulness throughout my day. It can be very simple, gentle movements. I find that especially if you're recovering or trying to recover from things like burnout, the last thing you want to do is feel like you're adding something else to your to-do list. You know, like the last thing that's going to feel good is feeling like, oh, now here's another thing I have to do that I'm putting pressure on myself. Like if you're really going to try to heal burnout and to heal your nervous system, it should be enjoyable. You know, it should feel good. You'll be much more motivated to stick with it if it actually feels good for you. 
So for some people, that's going to be just doing a little five-minute meditation. For some people, it's going to be breath work, whether that's an activating, energizing breath work practice or whether that's a really relaxing, slow, steady, mindful breathing. For others, it'll be movement and it can be very slow, you know, just a couple of poses, a couple of stretches that feel really good in the morning or feel really good at night. And for others, they're going to want something that's a bit more activating and a bit more energizing. So one is not better than the other. I think when we're talking about nervous system, you know, I was even guilty of doing it in the beginning too, where I'm like, oh, I needed slow. I needed long held poses. That's just what I needed at that time. Now I cheer for my nervous system with a balance of both active and passive practices. So you really need to see like what is what is the most missing in your life at this time and your daily routine? Are you already really active and charged up and need something to bring you down? Or are you very lethargic and unmotivated and feeling low and you actually do need something that's a bit more energizing to get you out of your head and out of the funk and back into your body? So it will vary a lot person to person. But if you can focus on either or combination can be great. Simple movement, deep breathing, a little bit of meditation. If you can try to do maybe just one of those three things once a day, five to 10 minutes, um, I found that to be much, much, much more effective than one long session once a week. Okay. That's good to know. And my overthinking mind too is uh, you were addressing some of those uh, questions I was thinking about, like, you know, do I do particular activities at night and particular activities in the morning? But ultimately, I'm thinking you must have these resources up on your YouTube channel. So tell me a little bit about, you know, if I'm interested now in, in playing around with this idea and using yin yoga as a way to care for my nervous system, what will I find on your YouTube channel that will help me with that? So I, I'm probably most known for at this point, like my 10 minute morning yoga classes. That's what I teach a lot of. Of course, I have 60 minute, 90 minute, 30 minute classes. I have pretty much everything on there, you know, nine years, nine years into it. But I do a lot of 10 minute morning yoga classes because a lot of people have been able to be consistent in practicing every day with something that's just 10 minutes. They know what to expect. They know it's not going to take up much of their time. And in 10 minutes, we're able to do enough with our bodies so that you'll feel really good after sleeping, you know, like getting rid of any aches and pains. And in every morning yoga class that I teach, I'm always trying to get you to choose an intention for your day. Usually just picking one word that captures how you want to feel just to get people in the habit of thinking about themselves, putting themselves first, even just for 10 minutes out of your day before you go out into the world and focus on your job and your family and your spouse and all the other things that life throws at us. So being able to just have a moment of pause to say, how am I feeling? What am I needing? What would I like today? You know, what's important to me right now in my life is really powerful. And it's just 10 minutes. And I probably have hundreds of those by now. So if anyone is interested in trying to add a little bit of yoga to their daily life, that's an amazing place to start. I also have a lot of yin yoga classes. Some are morning classes, some are bedtime classes, afternoon, anything in between. 
So if people are more interested in yin, in these passive poses, all the poses are done either sitting or lying down. So there's very little strength, very little effort. This is targeting uh, called like the yoga of the joints. So targeting the deep connective tissues of the body, like fascia, tendons, ligaments. Um, really wonderful as you get older to, you know, emphasize a yin yoga practice. You're holding poses, you're working on flexibility. So I have a lot of those as well. Now, because because in yin yoga, each pose is held for three to five minutes. I think the shortest yin class I have is like 20 minutes long because otherwise we wouldn't have time to do anything. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like you need to do at least a couple poses in each class. But so those are usually 20 to 60 minutes long. So lots of those available to people if they have more time and they want to give it a try. What's fun with yin, especially bedtime, often you can do them in bed. You know, because like yin will use a lot of props. Um, in yoga, we have like blocks and blankets and bolsters. Often people don't have that at home. So just using your bed, like the mattress and bed pillows is really amazing to make the poses really comfortable and supportive. So that's that's a fun one as well. Oh, it's phenomenal. No. I want to hear about other things that you're doing as well. But before we leave our conversation, is there anything about this topic around yoga and our nervous systems and, and how we can reset it that we haven't covered that you think is important? Oh, I don't know. We covered a good, a good, a good deal. Pretty much, I think, everything I wanted to cover. I think the main point I want to drive home is that there is no set solution and clear-cut path. Like everyone is going to need something different and it's okay to explore that and to take the time to test things out and see what works out for you to also not put pressure on yourself to, you know, fix things right away. Like using that yes and philosophy. Yes, I'm stressed. Yes, I have anxiety. Yes, I'm burnt out. And I'm taking proactive steps right now to feel better. You know, yes and I have techniques and tools that will help me when I need them. So really focusing on that perspective, I think, can give people some hope, especially when things are feeling very heavy and very difficult. Thank you so much for that, because I know that this is this is something we all deal with, and especially in these these days. Right. Um you can't turn the TV on without hearing bad news and, and, you know, it's just everywhere. And, and it's, it feels like everybody's kind of edgy right now. So the more that each one of us is willing to take responsibility and accountability for our own nervous systems, the better that we will all be collectively. I hope so. <laughs> right. So the YouTube channel, is that the, tell me what the YouTube channel is. It's just yoga with Cassandra. So okay. if you go either on Google or on YouTube and you type yoga with Cassandra, you'll be able to find me there. So probably about 800 or so free videos there. Love it. Love it. Is there anything or are there any other resources or any other announcements that you want to make today? Well, the other thing that I might touch on, something that I found very helpful in my day-to-day -day practice. So I mentioned with my morning classes, I like to set the tone by choosing an intention. Um, I work a lot with affirmations and recently I was able to come out with my own affirmation cards and they're all themed around health. So instead of the four suits that we normally have in a card deck, you know, with like spades and yeah. clubs, 
it's physical health, mental health, emotional health, and spiritual health. Um, it's the I Radiate Joy deck. And it's just simple affirmations. So sometimes people find it hard to choose an intention for the day. Like they're not really sure nothing comes to mind. I just pick a card and that can provide some guidance. So I'm very happy to have those. And if anyone wants to check them out, it's just I Radiate Joy by Cassandra Reinhardt. So available at anywhere. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. Now, Kim, are those also on Amazon? Yes, yes. Okay. Amazon perfect. and all major like book retailers. Well, good for you. Congratulations. That's Thank amazing. you. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Like I said, we we all could uh, keep our anything that we can do to keep our nervous system in check is going to be good for not only us, but for our families and the the greater good. Yes, totally. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. Are you ready to play and experiment with these ideas so that you too can live your purpose, expand your impact, and create with ease? Join us at Fully Alive on Facebook. We've created this space to explore the effects these practices and principles can have on your own experience. And if you're feeling the nudge to explore what coaching can do for you, send me an email at mary at bluebambooleadership.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be fully alive.